When you think about Christmas, the obviously the centerpiece of Christmas is God becoming one of us, God coming to dwell with us. And we can say that, but the more you think about it, the more depth there is to it, the more uh, amazing it becomes that we meditate. What does it mean that God became one of us, that God became a human? And you, can, you can't spend too much time thinking through that and meditating on that. So this morning, that's what I want to do. I want to meditate on what does it mean for God to be human, for God to be one of us. Now, in just a minute, I'm going to give you three pictures. And I want you to think and choose which one of these pictures, when you think about Jesus, when you think about Christmas and God becoming one of us, which one of these pictures do you resonate? The first is the picture of a mighty oak tree. When you think of Jesus uh, becoming human, when you think of God coming to dwell among us, does the picture of a mighty oak tree, is that what you would choose? Second, a beautiful rose bush. Beautiful rose bush. When you think about Jesus becoming a human, does the imagery or the feelings or emotions associated with a beautiful rose bush, when you think of Jesus, is that the image that you connect to? And then finally, a dandelion. When you think about Jesus, is it the image of a dandelion that most resonates with you. I'd like you, you don't need to say out loud, but uh, I'd like you right now to pick one of those three. The image that you emotionally connect to when you think about Jesus. How many of you picked the mighty oak tree? Nice job. You're right. <laughs> when we think about Jesus, you know, he is strong and powerful. And God coming to dwell among us is this picture of God coming to bring us refuge. That you can take refuge under the branches of a mighty oak tree. That it is strong and powerful. So, so those of you who picked the oak tree, that's right. How many of you picked the rose bush? You also are right. Good job. <laughs> For many of us, you know, the idea of Jesus dwelling among us, this, it's it's the beauty of God that really resonates with us, that here is God in the flesh with all of his grace and mercy, and that the really the more you get to know God in the person of Jesus, the more beautiful he becomes. And for many people, really thinking about Jesus and thinking about the idea of a beautiful rose bush, that those things go hand in hand. And if you pick the rose bush, I agree with you. Now, who here picked the dandelion? All right. How many of you picked the dandelion because you figured it must be the right answer because it's so different from the other two? Yeah, kind of like A, B, or C on a multiple choice test. I always pick the one that's very different. Well, the dandelion is not the right answer. But it is a right answer. You see, sometimes at Christmas, it's the images of the oak tree or the rose bush that dominate. We hear verses like, for unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Almighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. We see an image of Jesus at his birth, and we talk about kings coming to bow down and worship him and bringing him great presence. We hear angels trumpeting the fact that God has come to dwell among men, and glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill to men upon whom his favor rests. That's an oak tree or a rose bush version of Christmas. 
That's a picture of Jesus coming in strength and in power and in beauty. A wonderful counselor. That's a beautiful picture. Mighty God. That's an oak tree image of Jesus. And those are very valid images of Jesus at Christmas. But this morning I want to think about the dandelion image. That too is a valid image of who Jesus is at Christmas. And I want to look at a classic Christmas passage that shows us this picture. So if you have your Bible, would you turn to the book of Isaiah, chapter 53. Isaiah, chapter 53. It's page 600 in the church Bibles. Isaiah, chapter 53. The reason why I've chosen this passage for us this Christmas is that as a church, we've been going through the book of 1 Peter together. And we've been tracking in the book of 1 Peter with what Peter has to say, especially about suffering and about difficulty in life. Well, last week we looked at 1 Peter chapter 2. And the last half of 1 Peter chapter 2, the passage we were looking at, is an extended quotation from Isaiah 53. That in fact, if you had to ask Peter, what's the one chapter in the Old Testament that was most formative for your thinking as you were writing the letter of 1 Peter? I think the answer has to be Isaiah 53. So it seemed fitting to come to this classic Christmas text this year since we're going through the book of 1 Peter together and we're going to look at the first few verses of Isaiah 53. Isaiah writes, who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. Now this is a prophecy written hundreds of years before Jesus came on the scene, but Jesus is the one it refers to. This is a prophecy about the Messiah. When Jesus comes and says, I am the Christ or I am the Messiah, he's saying, I'm the fulfillment of prophecies like Isaiah 53. Now notice the phrase, he grew up before him. That's talking about Jesus growing up before God. And what we're talking about here in Isaiah 53 is, is that many of us here in the room, maybe six years old or 11 years old or 17 years old, and if you're that age, maybe you wonder, what was Jesus like when he was six years old or 11 years old? or 17 years old? Well, this passage answers that question. It talks about Jesus's growing up years. And Isaiah 53 is not just about his birth, even though we read it at Christmas, nor about his death, even though the rest of the chapter is about his death. It's about his whole life. His birth, his preteen years, his teenage years, his young adult years, his adult years. This is a picture of Jesus. And it's a picture that I think is best described with a dandelion. Now, why? Well, notice where it says, he grew up before him like a tender shoot. Now, that sounds really poetic and beautiful, a tender shoot. It's not. It's not a pretty image at all. In fact, if you were to translate this phrase today in English, it's literally, he grew up like a tree sucker. Now, what a tree sucker is, is that if you, know, uh, if you have a stump and you've got like a little branch growing out of that empty stump, 
or you've got the root of a tree, an exposed root, and there's just a little part of the tree that is growing up out of that. That's a tree sucker. Gardeners hate them. We get them on our grapevine at home. They're the first things you want to get rid of because they bear no fruit. All they do is take life from the tree. That's why they're literally called tree suckers. And so the first thing a gardener would do is snip those off. Now it's amazing that Isaiah says that when you think about the Messiah coming to dwell among us, that his life is best characterized by a tree sucker. Or he says, like a root out of dry ground. And again, it sounds poetic because we hear it often at Christmas. But if you think about a desert with a little green root or, or sprout coming up in the middle of a desert, that too is not a positive image because when you look at that, you think, how's that going to survive? That little plant's going to have a hard life. Where's it going to get water? It's not going to grow into a mighty oak tree in the middle of a desert like that. And Isaiah says that if you are going to categorize Jesus, the picture in Isaiah 53, it's not a mighty oak or a beautiful rose bush. But a modern day equivalent might be a dandelion. A weed that nobody really wants around and that doesn't give anybody the sense of strength or power or beauty. Why not? Well, Isaiah continues. It says, second half of verse 2, because for Jesus, he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. What this means is Jesus was not physically attractive. Now it's interesting, Joseph in the book of Genesis and David in the book of 1 Samuel, we're told that both of these were good-looking men. And they kind of fit the part of looking like a leader. They had the CEO hair or whatever it was that made you think these are power players. These are guys you want to follow. These are guys you want to have something to do with. They were nicely dressed. One look at Joseph or at David or other leaders in the Old Testament and you thought, now there's a man I want to follow. Isaiah says that wasn't true of Jesus. He was not physically attractive. There was nothing in his personality that was all that attractive. Jesus wasn't the guy who sort of worked the room and had that larger than life personality, that sort of charismatic figure that everybody was like, man, I just want to be around that guy. I'm just drawn to his amazing personality. Isaiah says that's not who Jesus was. There was nothing about his social status that people just naturally gathered around him and said, yeah, man, that guy is, he's moving. He's going places. I want to be with him. Isaiah's saying there's nothing about him from an outward appearance point of view that anybody would consider attractive. Now, not only did he not have anything going for him from a sort of physical appearance point of view or a personality point of view or even a social status point of view, he had lots working against him. Verse 3, he was despised and rejected by mankind a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Again, sometimes when we think about Jesus, we get this picture of a rock star. That Jesus is, yeah, he's born in a manger, but kings show up and they bow down and they bring him presents. And when Jesus is going to be dedicated at the temple, 
Well, he's the star of the show. He's just a little baby, but people are coming from all over going, that's the Messiah. I can now die and go to heaven. I've finally seen this baby. When he shows up into the temple at age 12, he's got the adults mesmerized as he's asking them questions. And then he bursts onto the scene in his public ministry and everywhere he goes, crowds are following him and he's doing miraculous, jaw-dropping kinds of things. And he always seems to have the right thing to say and people hang on his every word. And that's true. But sometimes it's possible to think of Jesus as this rock star who had one really bad week. Sort of everything in his life was great. Wouldn't it be awesome to be Jesus? Yeah, except for that last week pit. That didn't go so well. But Isaiah says it's not right. He was a man of suffering, familiar with pain. In other words, if you look at Jesus' whole life, not just the last week, but birth, childhood, adulthood and death if you looked at his whole life you would have to say he had a hard life he had a hard life we do know that he was born into very poor circumstances his family did not have much money at all we also know that he was born in the town of nazareth and whatever the deal was with that village everybody in israel looked down on nazareth Nothing good comes out of Nazareth. And even in Nazareth, which was the lowest of the low, it's not like Jesus was some sort of budding superstar growing up. We know that because when he goes back to Nazareth in his public ministry, the leaders of the town don't get together and go, ah, our favorite son is returning home. Nobody says, yeah, we knew Jesus was going to be up to big things. We could tell in high school when he was the captain of the football team or he was the National Honor Society or the homecoming. We knew he was just the best person ever to come out of Nazareth. Nobody says that. In fact, they say, isn't this a carpenter's son? Where did he get this kind of wisdom? Nobody was expecting big things out of Jesus when he left Nazareth. We believe his dad died sometime before his public ministry began and Jesus was forced to take over his dad's business as a carpenter to try to support his mom and his siblings. The one scene we do have of Jesus when he's 12 years old, his mother is rebuking him unfairly. And when he tries to explain to her who he is and what he must be about, she doesn't understand him at all. And he has to just simply go back and submit to her, even though she doesn't really get who he is and what he's supposed to be about. And it's not like he had a great family life growing up. Often the oldest child, you know, the brothers, younger brothers look up to him and want to idolize him. Not in Jesus' case. The only interaction we ever see between Jesus and his brothers, his younger brothers, they're mocking him and insulting him. I don't know if Jesus had a life-threatening illness when he was 10 years old. I don't know if he had an uncle who was an alcoholic. I don't know if he had a number of customers rip him off in business. I don't know if he was bullied by older kids when he grew up in Nazareth. The Bible doesn't give us those details, but what I do know is Isaiah said he was a person who was familiar with suffering. He had a hard life. It's not that Jesus was a rock star with one bad week. That his whole life from beginning to end was a difficult, tough life. That Judas is not the first person to betray Jesus. That when 
Uh, the Spirit takes Jesus in the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. That's not the first time he was tempted by sin. That the cross was not the first time that Jesus felt alone or deserted. That the trial was not the first time that Jesus experienced injustice or impression, oppression at the hands of the Roman Empire. That the public ministry of Jesus is not the first time he was insulted or the victim of rumors. Isaiah said that Jesus was familiar with pain. He lived a life of suffering. Not a fantastic life with one bad week, but a whole life that was hard. It goes on in verse three. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Nobody's embarrassed of an oak tree. Oak trees are beautiful. They're amazing. They're strong. Nobody's embarrassed of a rose bush. Rose bushes are gorgeous. People want to stare at them and look at them. But if you have dandelions in your backyard, people are embarrassed about that. Jesus, this is God's word, says was a person that people were embarrassed of. Not just one week. A hard life. Why? Why did Jesus have such a hard life? Well, verse 4 tells us. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. The words for pain and suffering in verse 4 are the same words from verse 3. A man of suffering familiar with pain. Jesus had a hard life because we have hard lives. Now, maybe you're here this morning and your life feels great. Thank God for that. I'm glad for that. But for a lot of us here this morning, life feels hard. Not without joy, not without peace, not without good things, but hard. Difficult, full of stress, full of hard decisions, full of broken relationships, full of struggles, physical, emotional, relational, mental. Life feels hard. God says, our world is full of pain and suffering, and so Jesus came and lived a hard life because we needed him too. See, it wasn't like Jesus had no other choice. Remember, this is God incarnate. This is God coming to live among us. God could have picked whatever kind of life he wanted. The Bible says that the Father prepared a body for Jesus. You know what's crazy? Jesus didn't ask for a good-looking body. He didn't ask for a body that was genetically predisposed towards health. He didn't ask for the kind of personality that would be mesmerizing that everybody would attract. He could have had any of those things. He didn't ask to be put in a life situation where there was lots of money and he didn't have to work and his brothers thought he was just wonderful and his mom and dad completely understood him and his dad was able to live until Jesus was an old man. He didn't ask for that kind of... He could have had any kind of life he wanted. This is God choosing to live among us and he chose a hard life. That's amazing to me. He consciously chose a tough life. Not a fabulous life with a tough week. A hard life. Why? Well, this is the question, I think, more than any other that plagued the Apostle Peter. 
Remember, he's the one that when Jesus tells him it's necessary for the Messiah to suffer and die, <clears throat> Peter pulls him and says, no, 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 Messiah's supposed to have a good life. That kind of stuff's not supposed to happen to the Messiah. And Jesus has to say, well, it's because you don't understand the Messiah. You get the oak tree and the rose bush, but you don't understand the dandelion. And I think if there is one question that Peter meditated on more than any other, why was it necessary that Jesus choose a hard life? And the book of 1 Peter gives us five reasons, and I'm just going to give them to you quickly. Number one, Peter realizes Jesus had to choose a hard life so that he could win for us an inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade. Jesus went through hell to win us heaven. And hell, we're not talking about what happened between Good Friday and Easter Sunday. We're talking about from the moment he was born in that manger until he was glorified again in his ascension. That whole thing was a hellish experience. And Jesus chose that hellish experience so that he might win for us an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Number two, he chose a hard life so that he could bring us back to God. Because we as humans had chosen to move away from God because of our sin and disobedience, we had ended up living lives that were painful and full of suffering and difficulty. Jesus, in order to get us back, entered into our lives and chose a hard life because that's where we're at. This is where we live. We live in hard places. We live in hard times. We live in hard experiences. And Jesus came to live with us so that he could bring us back to God. Number three, Peter tells us that Jesus chose, consciously chose a hard life so that he could leave us an example of how to live a hard life. You and I don't have to ask the question, what does God want me to do in the midst of difficult circumstances? We already know the answer. Jesus came and showed it to us that we're supposed to not retaliate. We're supposed to not complain. We're supposed to entrust ourselves to God. We're supposed to endure. Jesus came and showed us exactly what it's supposed to look like when we're insulted. Exactly what it's supposed to look like when we find ourselves in difficult economic situations. Exactly what it's supposed to look like when we are betrayed or feel abandoned by God or any of those situations. He came to leave us an example. Number four. Jesus chose a hard life so that he could sympathize with us in our hard lives. God doesn't just know what you're going through or what I'm going through because he's really smart. He knows what we're going through because he's gone through it. Not just one bad week, but a tough life. This week I was having trouble writing this sermon. A lot of trouble. And it was discouraging because I thought, here I am eight years into this and it's still not gotten any easier. Why does this have to be so hard? Why can't it just come naturally? Why can't it just be easy? Why can't Monday morning the sermon just write itself and I can get on with other things? And you know, somehow in the middle of it, God said, well, that's why I picked this topic for you. 
And I don't know what it was, but it just, it felt comforting to know Jesus knows what this is like. He knows what it's like to have a hard life, to have something that's difficult that you might struggle with, that you've struggled with for years. Not just one really bad week, but a tough life. And I felt comforted in knowing Jesus knows how this feels. Jesus knows that despair. Jesus knows that feeling of, am I ever gonna get out of this? And he consciously chose the kind of life we're stuck in so that he could know what we're going through, so he could sympathize with us. And then the fifth reason. Jesus chose a hard life so that he could give us hope. Jesus' life right now is not hard. It's full of joy and glory and peace. And Jesus has come to be one of us to tell us this is where the path leads. The path of following and believing God is a hard path, but this is where it ends up. It ends up in glory. And the reason I can have hope is that it's not always going to be this way. That Jesus is now free from pain and free from suffering and free from difficulty. And he came and lived among us and died so that I too could have a great life. So that I could too could enjoy the beauties of heaven and I have great hope. That's where Jesus is now. And if you have a terrible life, if things are going difficult, what I, the good news I have to offer to you, the message of Christmas is it doesn't have to always be that way. That God has come so he can rescue us. That Jesus is not experiencing pain. He's not experiencing crying. He's not experiencing loneliness or separation. What he has now is glory and honor and joy. And that's our future too. That when we put our faith in God. See, Jesus became what we are so that we might become what he is. He came to live our lives so that he could give us his life. That the Bible says, don't you know that if you suffer with Jesus and for Jesus, you will be glorified just like Jesus is. And the great hope of Christmas is not that everything here is just gonna be fine and dandy. The great hope of Christmas is, is that Jesus came and lived a hard life to overcome death so that he might give us glory. And that's our future. Sometimes at Christmas we look at beautiful presents and we think about amazing weather and Christmas trees and family traditions and thank God for that. But that's the oak tree or the rose bush view of Christmas. And it's valid. Thank the Lord for that. But if you're here today and you think I'm having more of a dandelion Christmas. I'm having a hard Christmas. And in fact, I'm having a hard life. I want you to know that Jesus chose the exact kind of life you're in. Because he wanted to win for you an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. He came to live your life to bring you back to God. He came to live your life to set an example of how you can be faithful in the midst of difficult circumstances. He came to live your life so that he could feel in his heart what you're going through. And he came to live your life and my life so that we can have hope. Hope of eternity with him in heaven. That's the message of Christmas. If you don't yet understand that, if you don't yet, haven't yet experienced that, we want you to know that.
I want you to know that Jesus has come not to make everything right right now, but to set in motion through his life, death, burial, and ascension all that is necessary to give us the hope of the eternal glory in Christ. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, it was fitting of all mornings that this would be a hard morning for us to come to church. That it would be a hard morning for those who are serving in the parking lot or those who are in the choir or the orchestra. That it would be a hard morning to be without power and to get ready for church. It would be a hard morning to make changes in the last minute to try to get the service to work differently with different groups of people that are here, different numbers of people. Lord, that it would be a hard morning to preach about this subject. Jesus, I thank you that you know what it's like to have difficult things happen. And God, I pray for those of you brought here. Lord, for those who are experiencing joy this Christmas and everything is great, thank you, God. Would you just continue to bless them? For those who are having a hard Christmas, Jesus, I pray right now that you would meet them and let them know that you know exactly what they're going through. I pray that you would be a comfort to them. And I pray that you would give them a vision that is beyond their circumstances, a vision of what it is that you have won for them on the cross. God, that we today would be filled with hope and joy and love and peace as we see where you are and what has happened to you and know that we are following in your footsteps. Jesus, I pray that you would do this, God, for each one of us as we celebrate your birthday. And Jesus, thank you for choosing a hard life. Thank you for choosing a much worse life than any of the rest of us have ever had. Thank you for loving us enough to humble yourself to become a servant and to become obedient even to death, death on a cross. Lord, we'll never understand what you gave up to live the life you lived. But your life is now our life, and so we thank you and we praise you. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.